As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So today we have an amazing show for you. We interview Andy Paul, who's the author of Zero Time Selling and Amp Up Your Sales. He also runs a daily podcast that's all about sales and growth. But today we're going to learn about his three main themes in sales. So we're going to learn what those themes are and how we can use them in our sales. And then we're also going to learn about what he calls the most important sales call. You're not going to want to miss this because I almost guarantee that you're not doing this today and you absolutely should be. So let's get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast. 
podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Andy, thank you so much for for coming on here. Really excited to talk to you about some sales today. I wanted to start off by getting your background in sales. Now, you've written two books. You have the podcast, Five Days a Week, all focused around sales and growth. But where did you get inspired to start down this path? Where did you get inspired to write Zero Time Selling? Sure. I think where it really came from was a long, <laughs> a long history working for a number of different startups in in Silicon Valley and Southern California, where for a long period of time was selling very large, complex communication systems. These are actually satellite communication systems. And so we are startups that didn't have a brand name, didn't have a track record, and we we're selling these infrastructure communication products in you know million dollar type quantities, you know, large dollar ticket prices. And we were compete, selling it to some of the world's largest companies and competing against some of the world's larger, largest companies to get the business. And so how did we win? And I was, you know, I thought I sort of knew as, because we were having great success over the years, but it, 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 when I got to the end of it and sort of stepped aside from it and said, well, gosh, you know, this is something fairly unique is, you know, how do you come in as a small, the underdog in a mission critical application? And how do you how do you differentiate yourself? How do you gain the credibility and the trust with the buyer? And so I really started my company to be able to help other companies learn how to do that. And it took <laughs> it took a while before I was inspired to write the book. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I ended up I was living in Southern California, and, and about six years ago, I, I got remarried and moved to New York. And so I was a uh, you know, stranger in a strange land and, and sort of figuring out, okay, what do I do to continue my business, which was back in Southern California? And the idea of writing my first book, Zero Time Selling, uh, based on these concepts I, I had learned uh, through, I said, this underdog selling, and uh, thought, okay, really, here's what the difference is. The difference is that, that really made the difference was it's not really about what you sell, it's about how you sell. That was what set us apart. And so it's from that premise then that zero time selling and amp up your sales and everything else that, that I talk about really flowed. So what was it that actually ended up setting you guys apart as a small company against bigger companies with better brand recognition? What was the thing that ended up setting you guys apart in your sales efforts? Well, I think it was asking the questions to help the customer see that perhaps there was a better way. And... And that was really our our approach is that we would enter a situation that we thought we had something unique to add from a from a you know system solution perspective. And we weren't afraid to tell the customer, no, that's not what you want to do. You really want to do this instead. And here's the reason why. And if we we're able to get the customer to change their buying paradigm about what they would ultimately get most value from, then suddenly everybody else was playing catch up to us. And they had to then sort of shift what they were doing. And what we found oftentimes is that the bigger companies we were, we were selling against sort of refused to change, right? They didn't realize the target had changed. They were shooting at the old target and we were shooting at the direction where the new target was. And so it became very compelling for the customers oftentimes. It was like, well, well gosh, this is, this is a great solution. And these are the only guys that are talking about it. So, wow, how'd they get to be so smart? Why are they doing that so good? And, and you know, in some cases, we're working on such big deals, we actually, the customers would, would tell us, we're going to do business with you, but 
you know, we need to bring in this really big company as a partner. So we ended up partnering with some of these companies, actually, that we competed against. And then of the day, because we're a small entity and doing really big deals and the customer wanted a bigger company there as a, you know, somebody to babysit us, I guess. But, um, but that was sort of it. It was really about how we built the trust with the customer, how we showed them where the, the real value was going to come, how we asked the right questions that no one else was asking. So in your second book, Amp Up Your Sales, you, you revolve around three main themes. Let's start with the first one. I want to dig into those. And the first one is simplifying your selling. Well, so the simplifying starts with is, are you as a salesperson, do you have an unambiguous understanding of what it is you're trying to do when you're selling? And so I lead the book off with this quote from Jeff Bezos, founder and CEO of Amazon, that I'd, I'd come across an interview he gave at the Harvard Business Review that I thought more than anything I'd ever read really encapsulated what sales is all about. And, and the quote is, is, he said, look, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make purchase decisions. And that to me is that's selling. It's not about persuading or convincing somebody that it could buy something. It's about, I need to help them make the, the right decision. And so everything that I need to do as a sales rep, when I talk about simplifying, is, is, is everything step you're taking, is it in service of that goal of helping the customer make a purchase decision? And I sort of break it down a little bit further and, and uh, build upon a, another reading I came across when I was doing my research from Jeffrey Colvin, who had written the book Talent is Overrated, where he was talking about, for companies, the ability to gather information to make good decisions quickly has become a strategic competitive advantage. And so companies don't set out to spend a year to make a decision on something that they could make in half the time if they were given the information and the value they need to be able to make that decision. And so again, it's what are you doing? You know, every time you're out interacting with your, pro- your prospect and your customers, what is it that you're doing? And if you have that strip away all the nonsense about a lot of the sales process that exists out there, and say, really what I'm doing is I'm providing a service to the prospect to help them make a decision quickly and with the least investment of their time, then wow, then you can just (laughs) pair away all the BS that you have built into your sales process and say, yeah, this is what I need to be doing. It really takes a lot of the pressure off, actually, when when I sit back and I think about it, because now I'm just solving a problem instead of forcing a solution. Exactly. And that's, and that's, so when we talk about being customer centric, you know, and this, we go through waves of popularity and, you know, in my years of being in sales, I mean, this has come in and out of fashion multiple times, but I don't know why it ever should. It's always about the customer. It's always about them and they're what they're doing and they're making a decision. How can I help them do that? And so that is what I talk about. I want to simplify the sales processes, just strip away all the garbage around my own selling process and just say, every time I interact with them, what am I doing that's going to help them get closer to making a decision? You ever hit a point where you just say, you know, we're not a good fit? Absolutely. Because you'd be surprised how that comes back <laughs> as a reward multiple times. You know, if you get to a point with a prospect and it's just not a fit, and this is this is so hard for salespeople because when I've written about this, I've had <laughs> it's funny. These are sort of the blogs I wrote where people give me the most feedback. Is is when I say you know there is a good reason to stop selling to someone. They're like, no, no, you get that first objection. You're supposed to sell harder. And it's like you know sometimes no is a no, and you know your your job is you have to be a custodian of your time as well as the customer's time, and. 
you just don't have time to waste on people that aren't going to buy from you. And, and being that pragmatic is really a skill that you need to develop through experiences. You know, listen to what's happening with your customer. And you, we all should be aware enough to know that there is a point where we know we're just not going to win this piece of business. And there's no point keeping it in our pipeline for window dressing. Let's go find somebody that is going to buy from us. It's a big world out there, lots of prospects. Let's go find the one that's going to buy from us. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. We see this happen at startups all the time where people get hung up on one potential big deal where they're getting kind of a maybe or they're kind of getting pushed around, passed around to different people, but they're not spending that time actually focusing on new customers, potential customers that are yeses, that do want their service because they're distracted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're on a relatively short runway in terms of your funding and how much cash you have and you got a healthy burn. Yeah, you got to be talking to people that are actually going to make a decision one way or another. Yeah, I, I, I tell sales reps and sales managers I work with is the absolute worst thing that can happen for you is you invest your time in a deal and they make the decision to do nothing. That's the worst thing that can happen. I'd much rather lose a deal because then at least I knew I was working on somebody that was, was serious about it, right? And was going to make a decision. And I'm not going to win every deal. I mean, as much as I'd like to, but... If they say they're not going to do anything, it means I fundamentally failed to qualify them that they were serious about making a decision If and also fundamentally failed to, to give them a reason to buy. And if I hear you right, it sounds like it's not just the qualification to buy your product, but it's it's the qualification to buy any product. Like, are they willing to change? Exactly. Yeah. And qualification really goes through, in my mind, how I teach people is you go through two steps. One is, yeah, there's... There's a sort of what I call a specific sort of category qualification is, you know, are they really qualified to buy the sort of the type of product we're selling? And then we take it to the next level is, are they qualified to buy exactly what I'm selling? And it's the second part that's really hard for, for salespeople because they make it somebody that, yeah, wants to buy sort of the type of thing they're selling. But when they dig down further in the qualification and peel back the onion, the layers what they're finding is, yeah, they're not really a prospect for us. And that's that's a hard decision to say, okay, well, I'm going to disqualify this person because I don't want to waste my time on it. It kind of hurts, but we got to do it, right? We got to do it. And yeah, it's, it's the security blanket. And unfortunately, what we're sort of seeing a lot in sales these days is one of the, I think it's eventually this will change, but you know, this influx of big data is sort of new in a lot of sales. And so we, we focus on these metrics that I said sort of become security blankets, but they're also false indicators of success. And one is oftentimes size of the pipeline. Because what we do is we, we focus on the size of the pipeline instead of increasing our close rate. And so we accept artificially low close rates because we have one of bigger pipelines. And you really should be focused on how do we close, how do we increase our close rate? And maybe we have fewer prospects in our pipeline. And I think there's another psychology element at work there where if you have, if you can tell yourself that you have a heavy pipeline, you don't need to close. You're not as anxious to close each deal that comes in front of you because on paper, you have a lot of opportunity. Well, yeah, because then you have, you have the issue of being a mile wide and an inch deep 
as opposed to saying, yeah, how do I really understand what you, each of these prospects need? And so this is a question I talk about Amp of Your Sales as a manager is that you, and as a sales rep, you should be able to answer this question is your manager shouldn't be able to come to you every day and go through every deal and say, okay, what can we do today? What, what a value can we deliver to the prospect today to help them move at least one step closer to making a decision? And as a rep, you should know the answer, account exec, or however you, the title you have is, you should understand the answer to that question at every moment about every deal you're working on. What is the next thing that I can do to deliver value to them to help them move at least one step closer to making a decision? And if you don't know that, that's a problem. It means you're just not engaged with your deals. You haven't gotten to the level that you need to do to understand what's going to make them buy. And I, I love that. That's uh, it's great, simple, actionable advice. So the next kind of piece that you have, the next theme that you tackle in the book is maximizing the value of your selling. So, so again, something very, a concept very simple, which is that every time you have an interaction with a prospect, no matter how big or how small it is, is you have to deliver something of value to them. Again, this concept of helping them move at least one step closer to making a decision. So at the heart of sales is this bargain. And I talked about this near the beginning of Amp Up Your Sales. And this bargain is the customer gives you some of their time. And they what do they expect in return? They expect something of value in return. You know, it could be an insight. It could be a great question. It could be uh, some data of some sort. It could be some contextual information. It could be a vision that you paint for them of what it's going to be like using your the value they receive from your product service. But but they're going to give you some of their time. They're going to invest this time in you. What's the ROI they're getting on that time? And if there's no ROI in the time, if they give you their time and they get nothing in return, what happens is they stop giving you more time. So a perfect example that salespeople that I use when I talk to large groups is, hey, you know, this is, uh, this is Andy. Hey, Mr. Prospect, this is Andy. Uh, yeah, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. Yeah, no, I don't really have anything new to share. I'm just checking in to see what's going on. Well, that check-in call, what did I do? I just consumed some of their time <laughs> and what'd they, get in re- what'd they get in return? Absolutely nothing. And so, you know, an alternative that you can, can do is, is, you know, I coach people, it's okay, well, instead of doing that is when you get a new prospect is maybe set up some Google alerts for that prospect. You know, some keyword searches based on, on their industry, maybe the company themselves, individuals, maybe technology or technologies that relates to that industry. However you want to set it. And then every day you get these, Emails from Google with you know, links to articles and white papers and case studies and so on. So instead of doing a check-in calls, maybe you set up those Google alerts. You get one of these articles from one of these emails. You say, hey, Mr. Prospect, send me an email. Mr. Prospect, I was thinking about you when I was reading this article this morning about how companies like yours are embracing technology like ours. You know, something like that. You know, there are two points in this article I really think we should discuss. Are you free Monday at 9 to talk about it? Well, that, that has something of value for them there. Good. Something that provides some context about what you're talking to them about and what you're exploring with them, as well as a check-in call with had none at all. So what are some other techniques that we can use to continually add value and continue to schedule kind of these follow-up meetings before we're closing the final sale? Well, and so what you have to do is you have to be prepared before you pick up the phone as to, you know, am I gonna add, am I gonna ask a question today? You know, we get back to this basic point, you know, what can I deliver to them today that will help them move closer to making a decision? So what is the reason why I'm calling? Why am I picking up the phone? Why am I sending an email? Well, it has to be with that purpose in mind. So if you're making a call, yeah, you may get a voicemail, but you're going to have prepared a question, let's say, 
And this question is going to be something that is really germane. It's going to help provide some insight to them through their answer. But you have to be prepared. And so what I talk about in Amp Up Your Sales is that every interaction needs to have a value plan. And the value plan is really simple. It's two things. One is, what is the value I'm going to deliver? And two, what is the customer going to do in return for having received the value? What steps are they going to take? And so you have to have this in mind before you have any sort of interaction with them. And so it just takes just takes a little bit of planning. It doesn't take, you don't have to spend 10 minutes on this. I mean, if you're engaged in the deal, as I said before, you should know what that is. At any moment in time, you should know the answer to that question, what the customer needs from you. And so how are you going to deliver that? And I think this ties directly into your third theme, which is amplifying your sales responsiveness. Let's dig into that a bit. If you, if you listen to the first couple of things we've been talking about here is there's this theme here. And one of the themes is that you as a sales rep, there are, are lots of things you can't control. You can't control your product. You can't control its functionality. You can't control its price. But you can control the steps that you take to sell. And as I said before, it's, you know, your success is these days is more and more based on how you sell versus what you sell. So if you want to differentiate yourself, the first line of differentiation in sales these days really is the rep, right? The individual salesperson. So one of the ways you differentiate yourself is be responsive to your prospects, responsive to your customers. And I define responsiveness a little bit different, a little more completely than, than it's not about being fast. It's about being fast with something of value, you know, with some information, a question, a response to an answer or an answer to a question, excuse me, um, that the customer needs. So, you know, customer could, prospect could send an inquiry, inbound inquiry, and there's been studies done, you probably heard about them, that, you know, your odds of getting back to this prospect go up exponentially if you call back within five minutes versus 30 minutes. But if you call back within five minutes and they've got some questions and you're unprepared to answer those, well, you haven't been responsive. So I give an example in my first book, Zero Time Selling, about a client that I had that, that inside sales group, they have about five, six people, and sort of switched around some of the people. We brought in some folks that are selling a pretty technical product and that sold for about $30,000, $35,000. And we took some people out of their engineering group and their technical groups and brought them into sales because what they found is, is they increased their responsiveness to the, to the prospects. They reduced the amount of time getting back to the prospects and they answered and the call was being made by somebody that really knew what they were talking about, really knew the product, really understood the customer, how they used the product is that they shorten the sales cycle substantially. Because, again, customers, for the most part, aren't looking to make the absolute best decision. Most people, and there's been a lot of study done on this, a guy won a Nobel Prize studying this whole thing, a guy named Herbert Simon, is that people want to make the good enough decision. They want to, most people, they want to gather enough information to meet their needs where they make the good enough decision. And there are people that are what they call maximizers. They're going to, they're going to study it to death in order to make the absolute best decision. But what the research has found is those people tend to be unhappy with their purchases because they always think there was something better they could have bought. So most people want to make that good enough decision. So how are we helping them do that? So getting back to them quickly with answers to their questions or asking questions that, that you know, help bring the answers out of them to help find the direction they need to go, really important. So in the example of this, this one client of mine, 
is we got their response time down to every lead that came in and they were doing very active inbound marketing to 30 minutes. And if they, every lead got a call back in 30 minutes, they got a call back from somebody that really understood the product. And they finally got way through the sales cycle on the first call. In fact, enough to the point where, where we trained them. It's sort of an interesting technique is that when the client had an online demo of their software and the customer would say, well, could we, that's really interesting. I'd love to get a demo of your software. Could we schedule that? We'd train the reps to say no. But they said, but we could do it right now. So we wouldn't, and they were all okay with that. And because they had invested the time already, they had another five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get a demo, much better than scheduling another time to do it. And so what we found is that there's this phenomenon I call, they took these prospects off the market. They eliminated their incentive to go and talk to another vendor just through their responsiveness. And this, is, this doesn't become a, you know, sort of an idle thing. I mean, even companies the size of IBM, I talk about this in the book, have put a real focus on speed and getting back to customers and putting a stake in the ground saying that uh, you know, all inquiries have to be responded to within 24 hours, which you know, is huge for a big organization like that to mobilize the resources to do that. But uh, their CEO, Virginia Romady, had sent a video message out to the entire workforce saying, look, we're being hammered by customers and by prospects are saying we're not being responsive. So it's, it's speed is really essential, but it's speed if you have, or if you're prepared to answer the questions the customers have on the spot, if you're prepared to give them the information they need to keep moving forward in their buying process. And it's the great thing about it is it's completely under your control as a rep. You make the decision, you get a lead. You know, if <laughs> you can say, hey, I'll pick up the phone now and call them or yeah, I could do that later. We do that later, the value of that lead is dropping every second that goes by because the first thing that customer did after they sent the lead to you is they sent it to someone else as well. So if that person's responsive and you're not, you've just lost the opportunity on that, that particular piece of business. And I think the key is that when they submit that form, they're focused on solving the problem right then and there. But then also when you're responsive, the key, one of the key things that happen is the customer's forming a perception of you as somebody they want to do business with, somebody that respects their time, somebody that's responsive to their requirements. And those first perceptions, again, there's been a body of research about how people form perceptions, and perceptions are extremely strong and hard to shake. And so uh, even when even scientists, even when presented with information to the contrary, it's hard for people to change perceptions. So if you create that really positive, strong perception of the customer's mind through being responsive and delivering value, respecting their time, giving them good value for the time they give you, boy, that goes a long way to putting you in the pole position to win. Can you give me another example of this? Take sales lead follow-up, which is still problematic in so many companies where it doesn't happen fast enough or it doesn't happen at all. I mean, there's research showing that still that a very high fraction, a majority of sales leads are still not adequately followed up. And you think about the money companies are investing to do that. But the problem is that it's not part of the culture. And so I had one client that called me in. They were having a problem with, with getting responses to their, their sales leads. And I did a little short research into what they were doing at their, at their company. And I came back to the CEO after just a couple hours and said, well, I've got the solution to the problem. And I said, we're going we're gonna to fix it here in the next five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, you've got these, you're investing all this money, you're generating all this inbound sales lead activity. And on average, it's taking over three days to respond to leads. So I said, so here's what's going to happen. I said, you know, we're going to change the process. 
right now, we're getting, all the leads are going to go to your sales ops person. They're going to put it in a Salesforce, assign the follow-up actions to the individual sales reps and those right responsible for those accounts. And I said, here's the big change. I said, every day at 4.30, you're going to log on to Salesforce and make sure they were all followed up. And instantly, all their leads got followed up. And so it's just part of the culture then. It became part of the culture. And it has to happen that way because people sort of think that this is sort of, you know, lead follow-up, for instance, or being responsive. People think it's like breathing in and breathing out, right? If we breathe in, we got to breathe out. You know, we get a lead, we're going to follow up. It just doesn't happen. It's got to be part of your process, got to be managed. And then somebody has to be responsible to make sure it happens. So now we've we've kind of worked our way up to the sale. And the last thing I wanted to touch on today was that post-sale meeting. Yeah, I've got something I call, what I call the most important sales call. And you know, people sort of look at me a little funny when I talk about this. But is for most customers, when they've gone through a purchase process, is they've ended up talking to lots of different vendors. And even though they gave you the order, if you were to ask them what they thought they had purchased... What they'd come feedback to is they thought they'd purchase something that's most likely a combination of the sort of the best of everybody that they talked to. <laughs> so they, they take all the best of features from everybody else that they spoke to and they conflate it into one picture and they think that's what you're delivering, which is a horrible way to, to start a relationship when their expectations aren't going to be met. So this most important sales call is that when the customer gives you an order, is that you have a phone call or sit down with them, what, depending on you know, what your sales model is, and you go through the process with them where you count, hey, this is when we get started, this is what you said your requirements were, this is where we ended up, this is the proposal we gave, this is what you accepted, these are the reasons you decide to buy from us, this is what we're going to deliver, and this is when we're going to deliver it. And then you've aligned their expectations with what you're going to deliver. And so you start the relationship on a really good foot because too often what happens is, is the customer's a little confused and not exactly clear what it is they bought, especially if it's a more complex product or service they're buying. And you start on sort of a down note because they're thinking, Oh wait, I thought I was getting this, but I'm not getting this, you know? And so you eliminate that from your process by doing this, what I call the most important sales calls you by helping them reset their expectations of what they're getting. Now, a lot of sales people and even some managers are afraid to do this because they think some reason the customer is going to say, oh, well, in that case, I don't want to go forward. And let me tell you, it never happens. <laughs> never, ever, ever happens. And so you just have to suck it up and go do this. And then when the customer gets your product, they get your start to develop working with your service. You don't have this, oh, I thought I was going to get this and I'm not getting this. And oh, God, we're kind of bummed about that. Yeah, that's just not a good way to start. But if we know what their expectations are, could that lead to other products and services that we sell them in the line, if, even if we're not you know, able to do it right at that moment? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I think that that's one of the things that, again, you know, we see in the SaaS world that you know, people are institutionalizing the customer success uh, model, which I think is fantastic. A lot of companies don't have that sort of structured account management, post-sale account management. But you have to look at it as, you know, the first time the customer calls you after that first order they've given you, that's the next, the first sales call in the next order. And so you need to be going through and starting to ask the questions again that you did the first time. There's a new round of discovery that you do. And you sort of, that's a constant sort of discovery that you do as an account manager because you're going to go broader and deeper within an organization, get exposed to more people that could be potential users for your product or service. 
And I love looking at sales this way because it's not just the people that we call salesmen or saleswomen, but it's the entire organization operating as a sales organism. Well, and it's really important. So I'll give you a great story if you have time. And and back back when uh, early in my career, I was running this one division, this one company, and or sales for this one comp- division. And we had our biggest customer coming to to visit us. And uh, so <laughs> this was up in the valley. And, and so on the day, the appointed hour when he was coming and he was coming with this entourage, the CEO of a big company and my CEO and I were, <laughs> were sitting downstairs waiting for him to show up. And he comes in and he really doesn't even say hi to us. What he says is, where's Eileen? And CNO, <laughs> CEO and I look at each other and go, Eileen? He goes, yeah, where's Eileen? And we said, Eileen and Customer service? <laughs> yeah, Eileen. <laughs> okay. And so we walk up the stairs and we go down this long hallway through this cubicle land where we get to Eileen's cubicle. And the CEO of our customer turns around, looks at the CEO, my CEO, and points him and then points Eileen and says, She's the reason we buy from you. Whew, no, no pressure there, right? I mean, we were selling this company millions of dollars a year of services. She's the reason we buy from you. So and that's a lesson for everybody. It's, it is a team effort. And everybody that faces the customer you know, has to have the same service mentality that we're here to help. We're here to help you make a good decision. And we're here to help you make a good decision next time you want to buy from us as well. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing this with us. It's really amazing and insightful information. Where can we keep up with you? Where do we buy the books? Where do we subscribe to the podcast online? Sure. So, yes, uh, the books you can buy on Amazon or any online bookseller. Um, and to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, most of the um, podcast directories, it's available. And you can also come to my website and access the podcast there, and that's andypaul.com. And if you want to reach out and connect with me personally, you can send me an email at andy at zerotimeselling.com or follow me on Twitter and it's at zerotimeselling.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been great. Man, huge thanks to Andy Paul for coming on and sharing this with us. If you want to keep up with what he's doing, go to andypaul.com. You can subscribe to his podcast. He's got some amazing sales content on there and it's every day. So you're not going to run out of information anytime soon. Big thanks to our sponsor today, PipeDrive. Go to pipedrive.com forward slash rocket ship. Get two months free of their brilliant sales CRM. Coming up on Wednesday, we have the final episode of the sales series. This is all about post-sales. So now you've closed the deal. Now what do you do? Because really, your job is never done selling. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. If you want to keep up with everything, follow us on Twitter at RocketShipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. Joel Goldman.